Choosing a focus in your game can help build out the world that your project takes place in. Tying the two together can bring out a more clear picture of what you're trying to achieve as a designer. This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk with Jack Crawford about a very early design of the game, The Lands of Adversity. This game takes a unique twist on how your character interacts with the world and shows how the average person can be so much more. We talk about narrative, lore, and what this game's setting up to become. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. And this week, I am super excited to be talking about a new game that's coming out. One that's really interested me ever since I heard about it, and that is The Lands of Adversity. And I'm here with Jack Crawford, one of the designers of the game. Jack, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. And I, I'm surprised you've heard of us because we're pretty new to social media. Um, Lands of <laughs> Adversity is... Lands of Adversity has been under a rock for about a year. Um, we we deliberately went underground because um, we uh, we were working in one direction as like a play setting or a, a lore set, and uh, we decided you know we need to make this a game uh, to do what we really <laughs> wanted to do with it. And so we're like, okay, let's take a year and not show anybody anything until we know that we got something good. It was really exciting because you started following the podcast, uh, Land of Adversity, the, the the landing page on Twitter started following it. And I think you had like, oh, maybe 50, maybe 50 followers. So that was like a couple weeks back now and you guys are starting to get up there. So I'm really excited for people to discover this game. Yep. We've been uh, really grateful to the community of uh, Twitter so far. Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of unique. The RPG community is all you know, lifting up smaller creators when usually it's so cutthroat, you know, and so we're really grateful for all those that have sponsored uh, promotion pages and everything for us to get out there. And I, I just like to think that people see what we have and know it's different and, um, you know, are, are looking for something that we're going to put out. You know, we don't see much else like us out there, so. I think that's part of the reason I'm so excited about this game, because there isn't a whole lot that is like it. But before we really dive into that, Jack, can you please tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my story is not um, very unique. Um, I think you're going to hear it about every uh, tabletop role-playing game tagged uh, episode here. People are always like, I was a dungeon master for a really long time, or a game master, and I really liked my world, and I wanted other people to play it. And that's how I started out, and... Um, you know, I was a high schooler when I started writing this book, uh, or well, I started writing the original version, and uh, I've been running Lands of Adversity for my groups all the way from 2000, I would say 13, to present day, and that's actually how the team formed that's working on the project, and I can talk more about them later, but, um, you know, they're all just players who really liked my game, and I was like, you know what, guys, let's let's make this into something, and you guys can all be part of it. And uh, that was a big turning point, because it went from a selfish... I think it's a kind of a selfish idea to be like, my world's so good that other people are going to want to play in it, unless you're, like, doing something unique. And so I looked at it, and I was like, you know, this would be really, you know... I always like to quote to my uh, group, um, George Lucas made the, made the prequels... And um, they weren't as popular because everyone believed that George Lucas had really good ideas and weren't questioning him. 
So I told my group, you know, question me over and over, not to bash George Lucas, but, <laughs> but you know, um, I tell my team, like, question everything I do, you know, tell me why I'm wrong, and we'll change it. Like, this isn't my game anymore. It's the game I made, my players played in, and have now become creators of. And so that's really cool. Um, and uh, as far as my, my history of game design, I, I went to make the game actually before it was a, a play setting for Dungeons & Dragons. And then my friend said, don't design a game unless you know what you want from the game. And he said, play as many... Um, I'll, I'll name him A here in case he listens to this later because he probably wants to remain anonymous. But um, he said, you know play as many games as possible until you can't run your game in it anymore and then you'll know what you want to change so i played you know years and years of just lands of adversity with many groups and i was like this thing with the magic doesn't work this with the gods doesn't work i don't really like how this facilitates that and you know then i played you know dozens of other rpgs anything i could get my hands on just to like soak in experience and i was like maybe this one but it's Modern day, you know, I played a lot of uh, World of Darkness, which you'll see a lot of inspiration mm. in our game from that. Um, uh, also known as, like, Vampire the Masquerade is a, a variety of it, and yeah. uh, it's now Chronicles of Darkness. So, yeah, I just, I saw all these different things, and I was like, none of this fits the glove, right? So I got I to gotta sew a new glove for this hand. Yeah, that's great. Your, your friend has some real good advice there. And we've talked a little bit about what this is, but... What is the Lands of Adversity? Well, the name, the name is, it's in the name, but it's so much not, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so, man, if only I had my Power 19 pulled up. Um, Power 19 <laughs> being a, a framing device. Uh, Lands of Adversity, and I, I type this like three times a week to try to promote us. I, I tell people what Lands of Adversity is in a paragraph. So Lands of Adversity is a game which, the goal of which is to... Um, you know, we take the idea of mythic heroes or stoic heroes. I mean, D&D is so much about um, you guys are the special heroes. You're going to go save the day, right? We take that trope and we go, okay, but what if this was sci-fi or modern? You know, you watch a movie that's like Lord of the Rings and you're like, oh, yeah, these are real characters. But if you were to take those characters out of the Tolkien-like stoic, you know, hero journey and you put them into something like a modern drama... And you go, wow, these characters kind of aren't people. They're like these icons. So we, we wanted to take icons that you have in most RPGs and grind them down to be real people and then put them in this, like, batshit insane uh, world where everything's in collapse. The gods are, you know, I read once that, you know, the gods of old mythos are based off the culture of the people and how they see themselves. So in this world, because everybody's terrible, the gods don't know much. And they're kind of like the children of these other gods, a real Zeus kind of Kronos situation. So they're just like, I don't know how the world works. The world's dying. We're trying to fix it. Um, the people don't really know much about what's going on. And in general, we have these very real, the idea is to take these really real people and then put them through um, the challenges that these superheroes that we have in most fantasy literature face. You know, your, your sparkly... Um, fifth edition characters with the glitter all over them you see uh we just wanted to like say okay so these superheroes can deal with that but these are real people so you know in the monsters in our world 
uh, a great example of how fantasy can expose um, like the inner machinations of a character is in modern fantasy, how often are you going to have a creature, not modern fantasy, but like sci-fi or modern, we have creatures that go into your mind and they fill you with an emotion that isn't your own and control you. Or we have monsters that might um, change some certain factor. Like, uh, I think we had an idea for a creature that would replace a single memory. And so you forget who your mother is, and this creature is your mother now. Um, dealing with how a character would deal with that after the encounter, there's a lot of dark fantasy stuff where it's like, oh, that's spooky, it's a, it's a special ability. But... Um, the, the facts and the fiction don't match. You know, you go against a D&D monster that, like, hypnotizes you to make you think you're, you know, oh, I'm charmed, I think this guy's my best friend. The spell ends, and you're like, whoa, that guy's not my best friend, and then you fight him. In LOA, you think this guy's your best friend. After the combat ends, you're like, I have the feelings that I killed my best friend. What do I do with that? And so your character can be damaged emotionally or mentally or physically in the game in a lasting impact. And we really wanted to show that advancement... Man, I don't know if I'm going on a tangent here, but we wanted to show that advancement can be uh, advancement can be positive and negative. You know, um, we want and we want that to be rewarding for the players. So we try to encourage players to look at it as like, what am I getting as a player out of this? Is not that I'm trying to win, but I'm trying to see how this character would change if exposed to these things, and also what does this character really believe in and how do they get past it? We have like a motivations mechanic. So, like, maybe a character is motivated by equality. They come to a problem, and they see the class struggle in this city, and they're like, I need to fix this. And all of the, all of the crap they've gone through with these creatures and uh, these, you know, these terrible struggles in society, it's worth it if they can make the world a little bit of a better place for everybody. The, the duty-motivated character, he's there because, or she's there, because they want to, they want to protect people or they have a duty or responsibility, they know that if they give up, then the lands of adversity will crush the normal people. So you're not you're not a stoic hero. You're just the normal person who's willing to put your nose to the grindstone and come out with the scars and the triumphs for it. That's what we're trying to create. And uh, that, that goes into all the rules, all the design, <laughs> the lore too. We, we really, like with the lore, we really wanted to make it so that no one's right. There's no good guy, you know? There's no religion that's, like, more correct than the others. I mean, you're either, you know, too much of this or too much of that, or we try to do yeah. too little of this or too little of that with everything, you know? Yeah, that's sort of where the affliction mechanic comes in then, right? Right, so afflictions come in when you fail. It's So like, let's say uh, the way we do the XP is, like, have you been able to overcome this notable enemy is one of our questions, and... If the answer is no, and there's no opportunity to do it in the future, like let's say a monster kills all your friends and the monster gets away, there's no way to find it. Your character is going to then take mental affliction from that. And afflictions are pretty severe and long-lasting effects. Mm -hmm. We do have like lesser effects in the game for more temporary stuff, but afflictions represent a loss that you can't really get back and will take further experience, you know? So you might lose out on this opportunity, but then your character needs to write that wrong, and then they can spend XP to get rid of those afflictions. And there's there's other ways to do it, too. For example, like the motivations we had. We wanted a theme where these motivations are how you power through these difficulties, and so we uh, provided um, 
instead of spending XP to get rid of an affliction, which is measured in XP, um, you could spend inspiration, which is comes from several prompts that um, are based on your character's core value, their core motivation, what they really care about in the world. So your character cares about something, and that allows them to recover from these mental, you know, these mental afflictions they've gotten, or their social afflictions, like being banished. You know, social afflictions, you failed so bad that the king doesn't want to see your face anymore, get out. You know, or physical afflictions, you know, they come from, they come from, you know, physical yeah. peril that you have to expose yourself to, of course. Getting stabbed. Yep. So we try to integrate all of our systems. So motivation can repair mental mental trauma. If you if you are ostracized, you might even get a backstory at the beginning. You can choose to take a background. We haven't developed the backgrounds and origins yet, but our game design is leading towards that. Where you could have a background where you're because of your place in life when you were born, you were seen as like an urchin or you're ostracized. You know our world isn't fair, mm -hmm. but let's say you were to build up a reputation with the people you could actually use reputation mechanics and our faction mechanic to rectify you know you could you could start as the ugly duckling and become a hero of the people an unlikely hero that's something we try to provide so xp isn't everything you can advance through the social system you can advance through the inspirational mechanics and you can advance through the xp which is shared between the entire group that's so cool and that really, really plays to this game's strength and theme of internal conflict in a really interesting way. Right. Yeah, like uh, the factions are something I've been working on recently. Yes, I wanted to talk about those. Those are so cool. Did you look at the what we, I mean, this is like fresh stuff we just yeah. started writing <laughs> in actual factions. But um, uh, yeah, so faction stuff... Um, the factions, of course, are reflected in the lore. But uh, what they do mechanically for us is you can rely on them for favors and everything. This stuff's pretty standard in some other RPGs. Factions fit in our game like many other games, where they are, you know, you have social credit, you know, our rep score, which you could find in many other games. But what, what LOA has is that we do... Reputation as a score, which allows you to impress your rank on someone, which kind of gets in that like unfairness of society kind of thing. If you if one player starts as a noble, he can just flex that around, you know. Um, yeah. But reputation can also be spent on these favors, and the factions are reflected in the lore as well. And what's really interesting for me so far, as far as writing the lore, which we haven't really been able to talk about yet, um, the lore for LOA is really one of the things that makes us unique. We blend the lore directly into the rule set, so um, you know, and that was a that was a hard design choice because we were like, if we make this a separable, it's not going to sell well as much. Yeah. You know, no one wants to play your world. It, to be honest, I mean, <laughs> homebrew is so popular, and I know why because this oh, world yeah. is my homebrew world, right? Exactly. But um, but we wanted that kind of like uh, I think your one of your previous guests, Matt, uh, listeners, go dial back two episodes. Uh, Matt mentioned something called Ludo narrative, and uh, when I was listening to that, I was like, "Yeah, that's the word." So matching rules, uh, we we call it facts and facts and fiction, M mixing your rules into the fiction. Like, let me just give you an example. Um, our religions are a big part of the world, right? Because to someone in LOA, they the afterlife is guaranteed 
the end where they're all going to end up. And they know these different gods exist with different ideas. So following a religion is like we would consider life insurance. It's choosing your afterlife plan and hoping that you impress the god enough that they're willing to bid for you because gods have to compete for souls. So someone in LOA, religion's pretty important, but there's also people who are just like, well, screw that. The gods aren't going to help me. I'm going to go become a lich because that way I can circumvent death forever. I don't have to deal with this broken system. So you have these like ascension cults. You have people who worship spirits and fey, you know, worldly, other worldly creatures nearby where they're like, maybe I can get reincarnated into this weird class of like immortal spirit creatures. Um, there's people who worship, you know, the traditional gods. Um, so to talk about factions and how it integrates with religion, get around to my original point here. There's the Colossian Church, which is my favorite, uh, just because I'm a real big sucker for brimstone, <laughs> and these guys are all <laughs> fire and brimstone. They believe everything rash is a sin, that you have to live by complete emotional detachment and omission. So they they pray not to be affected by things, kind of like you consider those people, you know, like we have in mental health or in, you know, some religions in the real world to try to remove yourself emotionally from situations. They take it to the extreme because Fae, as I mentioned before, our fairies are not so much fairies as we would see in folklore, but they are more like eldritch beings that exist based on the human psyche being reflected in a different world. I know I just dropped a whole, you know, atom bomb of whatever, but oh, that's great. Yeah, so the the mortal psyche kind of goes out into the dream plane, the old plane of chaos that this world was dreamed up in by one of the few gods that made it. We're not going that deep, but <laughs> you know, let's say let's say a lot of people are struck by like a like a tragedy. A fae of sorrow might start to consume the town, coming from person to person and and welling this up into the point where they all start to um, become a little, you know, off. And then it kind of leads like a plague of sorrow. Colossian Church comes in and they say, our God doesn't like chaos and we don't like Fae and we all don't feel emotions. And then they burn everything, which is not great because there are captive people there. And other religions would be like, these people need help. And they would try to sue the Fae and then maybe get caught in it. You know, there's, there's too moderate, there's too extreme. You know, some of our religions are extremely... Uh, what would you say, um, exclusion, you know, they're exclusive and they're like, we curate our, you know, cause the Fae are a problem. This one religion my friend came up with, the Harmonists, their whole thing is you're a negative person. We're going to exclude you from our group. You're now excommunicated from our community cause you could cause a psychohazard. And you're like, what did I do? And they're like, you took too much dip at the last party leave. I mean, that's a joke, but <laughs> I'm just saying, imagine <laughs> getting excommunicated because your neighbors don't like you, and then you're sent off into the wilderness to die. You know, different religions in the world, they're all extreme and, and kind of wacky. I, I didn't want to make anything too, um, you know, it's it's the lands of adversity. Everything is very dangerous. We didn't want to make anything too reasonable, because then people will get in real-life arguments over the game. Yeah. Uh, maybe, yeah, totally maybe not, fair. but we also just kind of wanted to make it, like, Either everyone has to be right or everyone has to be wrong or no one would believe this stuff. So everyone's just wrong mm -hmm. enough, but enough that you can sympathize with them. 
Like, you could see the closing perspective. There's Fey, they're nasty, they really do not mean well for people, like, 90% of the time. Even the happy ones make you too happy. And so they're like, we need to get rid of this stuff. And our god says, if we make the entire universe in a perfect clock order, that no one will suffer. And they believe it. Like, the, the Colossian heaven is actually going and guarding hell to get rid of the rest of uh, chaos. Like, they don't believe there's going to be an afterlife for them. They think they just keep working. You know, harmonists are like, we don't really care about the afterlife. We're just going to go back to nature or whatever, you know? And okay. if they're right or wrong is... If they're right or wrong is kind of a moot point because, you know, whatever power you're worshipping has powers to do these things. And so while the afterlife works a certain way in the game and everyone who dies if they don't get sanctified or taken up by some greater being does become an undead um no one's really wrong they're just choosing different options for how they want to live out their afterlife and so it's interesting because they really do hate each other and uh they're all just kind of choosing their own thing it's really interesting to me there is a lot going on from this one and it's very different. They're, it's super unique. Well done on that writing. I mean, you know, everyone wants to be the edgy, subversive guy. I just got to it first. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I love running these games, too. Um, and uh, LOA really does have this theme of we look alike, but gods just ripped each other off. Like, oh, I, you know, they're just plagiarism. And... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, the, the we try to, in all of our races, we have alternative psychology that we, like, try to emphasize. You know, like I like I said before, those elves. The Freyli are going to be in the Alpha. Um, they're a race of elves, or uh, we call our elves the Aerins. Aerins? Uh, A-E-R-A-N. I'm, I'm getting it wrong. It's... Anyway. The Aeron, um the Freyli, they are a race that finds other cultures as um they they find other races as quaint and they kind of tend to condescend and belittle everyone around them unintentionally because they're extremely uh they're big xenophiles but in the way that someone might look at a foreign culture and be like how exotic it's the wrong kind of xenophile um and so they kind of are really nice to everyone but in a way that sets everyone else off. Um, and our dwarves are like, I have no emotions. I am very, uh, you know, we are proud to wear people. We feel nothing. We are completely stalwart. But they're actually very um, temperamental. And um, they kind of just don't understand their own emotions. You know, that's how the, the uh, dwarves are. Yeah. Um, okay. And their psychology is all angles and taking it apart and thinking about like you know things and we have like 12 dwarf clans i don't know if you got to see that but that no we almost were yet. like this is a little much we were almost like this is a little much compared <laughs> to the other races but the, the dwarf clans are all very unique and different and interesting mm -hmm. uh the the dwarves all like that's the thing their society they all fit into each other like clockwork that these dwarves had this purpose these dwarves had that purpose and to a dwarf they're like yeah of course but um, what about the dwarves that don't want to be in their clan? What about the dwarves that don't want to do what their god-designed purpose was? Well, to a dwarf, you were designed for a purpose by a god. You are a creation for this reason. An elf is completely different. They're like, go taste the world or whatever. But they're kind of animals, yeah. you know? So 
like I said, nobody's a good guy. The dwarves are really extreme in their control of each other. The elves are really extreme in their control of everyone else except for themselves. Humans are, you know... We didn't want to change humans from the real world because that's just overcomplicating things. That gives a good yeah. point for anybody. You know, if we went, uh-huh. okay, here's your three choices, Xenu, um, Popa, or, you know, Gru, you'd be like, okay, what's the reality base here? I have nowhere to put my feet. So we try to include the, the big three, elves, dwarves, and... But yeah, humans are... Humans are all about... Uh, we're still working on it right now, but humans are the ones that can generally breed with other races, which is a, a theme you've seen yeah. a lot of fantasy. And we're just like... I, I was just a really big fan of the idea of... Um, humans having this kind of mixed breed thing, you know, without getting it gross. It was a fun, it was a fun day to try to talk with the team because none of us wanted to talk about it, but all of us were like, we got to decide if it exists or not. And then we had to talk about how it exists and no one wants to talk about how, uh, there's just some stuff you're just like, man, (laughs) man, we're all guys that know each other. And, you know, oh my gosh, we are just like, none of us want to talk about this. But, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that in this world, mutants or um, people who are born with aberrations, uh, things like horns or a tail when they're not supposed to, or if a race that's supposed to have horns and a tail doesn't have one, they're called deviants because they deviate from the god's design. And it, there's a sense of prejudice there as well, where if you're... If you buy a deviant, uh, the deviant trait, the physical trait in our game, which is one of the things you can do during character creation is buy, like, physical traits. Yeah. The deviant physical trait allows you to buy things like scales, if you're a human or a dwarf or whatever. But now you're a mutant, and people don't like you, and you're going to gain prejudice. You have prejudice from that in the lore, and therefore you're going to gain social clout slower. It's going to be that, you know, that ugly duckling story for you. Or you're going to become the renegade uh, that no one can really badmouth, and you just toss people around because you took the deviant trait to be super strong. You know, go for it. Um, yeah. yeah, but like we have like you know how are you know uh, one of the things I always liked about Dungeons and Dragons is like half elves in the older editions. I don't know how it is now. Have always been like I'm stuck between the elf world and the human world, where it's like imagine your great 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 grandfather was a dragon and you didn't know it, and now you have horns and claws and you know you can breathe fire but like everybody around you thinks you might be a demon or you might be like your mother might be fae possessed or your parents might have done black witchcraft they don't know so they just like get out you know or even worse orphans are often used for like magical experiments i mean the mage towers are they only agreed to the human like the bill of rights in this world the uh they only agreed to it because the church has made them and vice versa. And so the, the mages often do things behind the, behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, those who can't afford can, um, will, will often be mutated for experiments and things like that. And it's, you know, it's one of those injustices where it's like the mages are trying to solve the death problems that everyone can, you know, not have this cycle where the world's dying or whatever. They're trying to like, you know, find a better thing than everyone, you know, uh, shilling out to these gods that are kind of mistreating people. So the mages in mm-hmm. one way are kind of good, but like, what are you going to do? Are you going to hurt people in order to get power? You know, some mage guilds are really against it. They're like the mage police. Others are not. And so then there's like this conflict there. Every area of our world has adversity and conflict. 
because we want you to solve the problems. We're just making it for you guys to do it, not for us. And I, I like it when there's um, a problem. You know, if things are too clean for me, I, uh, I struggle to find uh, an enemy. You know, you'll never, you'll never yeah. not have an enemy in LOA unless you solve everything. And then at that point, I'd like to ask you how you solved it all. Because um, you must be cheating. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> Something that you briefly mentioned was character creation. And I wanted to touch a little bit on that because this is a classless-based system. And it has some really cool freedoms, but limitations at the same time. Can you talk a little bit about how character creation works so far and what those limitations look like? Right. So how do you, how do you limit something without setting, setting someone on a path, right? Um, that's how I like to look at classes. They're set paths, you know, railroads, if you will, um, you know, you can have multi-classing and class systems and all these things. But we wanted to have it so that if you want to pick up fishing skill, sure. And you can also be a wizard. And you can also be, you know, a guy who can swing a sword. You're just not going to be great at everything. Um, and so our character creation starts with picking a race. And our races actually have something a little... We think, we think it might be a little controversial. We'll see how it goes in the alpha tests. Um, we have a minimum and maximum for race stats. So your core abilities like strength, um, we have agility, coordination. We have some stats. We, we wanted to break, you know, we, we broke some norms with our stats, but long story short, um, there's min and max, and then you have your starting value. And so you can either, you know, you're either the average for your race or you go down from there or up from there, and your race is worth an XP total. Um, and every race isn't just a stat array and uh, a group of traits, for example, having a vision type or a tail or something. A race also has a unique ability that you will not be able to get with traits or anywhere else in the book. To make, we wanted to make the races absolutely unique in one way. For example, humans have a trait that if they don't have something, like if they don't have a skill, they kind of get a jack-of-all-trades type thing. While the... Um, I think it's the the dwarves' trait is that they have their clan, and uh, our Frey Lee are really good with spirits and fey, and so they have uh, a little bonus there that is like. But they're each each racial like unique ability is unique to that race. Um, and then from there you would pick, um, I believe you would pick your uh, origin and background, which your origin is your place of birth. And that opens up what backgrounds are available to you. So, like, let's say you're an Arcadian, which is one of the, the nations in our world. You might be able to become an Arcadian noble, but you would need to be, um, because of, like, some Arcadian law where they really didn't like the elves, like, controlling them in the past, you might only be able to be a noble if you're a human. Uh, don't quote me on that because we haven't read... The Arcadian lore stuff has been something that we're waiting to, like, write till we're ready for Alpha to get that ready for the test. So, yeah, this is all ongoing. But for example, there might be, you know, a class of privilege that requires a race combo with an origin. You know, being born into noble birth and being um, this race gets you this nobility, you know. Uh, so your background is what you've done in your early life or what training you've done before going off. I think a lot of people are familiar with that concept. And origin is just your your place of birth and, and what you were doing, what your parents were pretty much. 
Um, and those those are what might limit options because if you are trying to get into the noble faction um, and get the nobility to recognize you as one of their own, they're going to require you to have noble birth or to be granted a noble title, which means you got to do a quest to get your noble title if you're not if you're not of noble birth, and that can be a whole new narrative. So we put these limitations in here to be like, yes, you're grounded in this world, but like, we also don't want to put any hard lines. So I would say there's nothing blocked off from you, and that's what makes us different than a class system. It's only this road is harder to climb because you didn't choose it earlier on, or this road is easier to climb because you have these early game options. And what replaces class abilities or something like that, or what you would consider like your major adventuring abilities, your crazy crap, um, we have what's called a discipline system. And disciplines are like, um, for those who are familiar with video games, I'm going to rattle off some here. Uh, anyone who's ever played Borderlands, anybody who's ever played Fallout, it's that kind of, you put points into perks. Um, you know, Dungeon Dragons 3.5 has feats. Um, 5th edition has feats as well, and other, other Dungeon Dragons has feats throughout a lot of its editions, but... The 3.5 system is you got some feats every couple levels, and we were like, what if every class ability in 3.5 was also a feat? And, you know, I just kind of had this idea. So you purchase, the way it works is you purchase a, with XP, you, you buy the base skill, which is, hey, these are the rules you're going to need. You know, you now have key if, you know, it's going to be some kind of like monk thingy, you know. Um, well, all of our martial arts have weapon forms and hand-to-hand -hand, so just like real martial arts you're gonna learn weapons with your hand-to-hand -hand, um, and you can choose styles within a man I'm jumping but um, a <laughs> discipline you buy your basic thing and then it's like there's a tier called mastery and it's like here's a menu buy whatever you want no you don't have to path from A to B to, to C you just go from A to any of B and when you get enough of B, you can go to C. So it's like a free-form tiering system where it's like, just put enough points into Mastery 1, you get to Mastery 2. You don't have to buy... Okay. You don't have to buy a chain of abilities. Because, like, the most annoying thing about D&D 3.5 for me as a kid, when I was, like, four years old first playing the game, was, like, <laughs> what do I have... To, I have to get seven feats to get Whirlwind Attack or whatever? It was, like, four feats. I was, like, I can't get Whirl... I can't attack people in a circle around me until I'm, like, level... 15 and I got to build my entire character to do whirlwind attack like I didn't want to do feet chains or anything I didn't want to do chains um, another tabletop game that really gave me the idea to do this kind of thing for everything is fantasy flight game Star Wars uh, I think they have three like different ones that are like the same game but with different areas of the universe there's one for the em like yeah. fighting the Empire um, force there's like force and destiny is one of them they have force powers, which is like, oh, you're going to do force push. Okay, well, here's an entire tree of how your force push could evolve in different ways. And I was like, man, that would be really cool if that was a class system. Oh, right, I'm making a game. So you know, so I wrote up a thing. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just hoping that... <laughs> I'm hoping that we can do some good justice without making it an eight-hour process to make a character. That's one of the things I'm nervous about, is that we have all these cool things... Um, so we're trying to integrate every system so that it's fully a part of the game and not parasitic. As in, uh -huh. we don't want something that relies on everything else but doesn't add anything back in. But we also yeah. want it so that if you really don't want to deal with factions, you don't have to. 
you know? So we just added in, like, you can pay factions for favors. We deliberated over that, and we're like, yeah, because if a guy really doesn't want to deal with negotiating, he can just pay them. But some factions are have a trait which they don't accept wealth, because they're too good for that. You know, like the Colossians, my favorite boys. <laughs> you know, my, my personal favorite. Everyone else doesn't like them. Every player who's ever come across them are like, these guys are so annoying because they don't let us get away with things. And I'm like, you guys are villains sometimes. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. That's so rad. I'm really excited to see how that starts to build out. And you're talking a little bit about the team there. Looking at some of the notes from the P19, one of the things I noticed was that you had a huge, you and the team are all very excited for the focus on oh, no. introspection for, for player characters. Introspection for player characters. I'm not talking about the other stuff. You read the, uh, why are you excited to, to make this game prompt? Yeah, I did. I really oh, no. liked it. <laughs> yeah, some of us had sarcasm too. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I was enthusiastic. <laughs> I'm not talking about the sarcasm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm I'm wondering what are some of the other things that you and the team are looking forward to because the introspection piece is super unique to Lands of mm-hmm. Adversity compared to how other games have even attempted it. So I'm I'm wondering what you're all kind of like, or what you know of, are some of the things that you're excited for, whether it be throwing terrifying monsters and seeing how people react to them or it's building this game out what are some of the the talking points for you guys when we need motivational time of course we like to get in our meditative space and pretend that we're going to be at a con someday shaking hands but what makes me excited what i what i if i don't care about making money that much i honestly don't Mm. know if we'll ever get there um, and in fact, I think if you're think if you're getting into making games and you think about money, you should probably quit now because you're really not doing it for a reason that's yeah. going to carry you through the struggle. It's going to take you a long time of very, you know, it's not always fun. Um, but anyway, what makes me super excited is I'm like, if I make this right, people are going to argue over what's really going on. People are going to theory craft like. You know, you can watch 30-minute YouTube videos right now by searching Star Wars and just having, like, some nerd somewhere pick things apart for four hours or plus over some obscure character in the Star Wars universe and how they relate to the larger plot. I want someone to be so into our game that they want to theorycraft what could possibly happen if these two historic characters interacted or is this character this character actually with the same because we do have one character that kind of just sits in the background of history um like you know there's these immortals and three of them went quietly four of them started societies and it's like this weird like you know dichotomy of like there are people in the shadows i want people to be like oh man what could i do with this spell what if i used it in this way you know I mean, a lot of my, a lot of the lore was built from players going, how can I exploit um, Jack's game in a way to drive him nuts and try to break it? Like, I had a player who tried to, like, kickstart the apocalypse because he heard the world reset and he maybe he could become God, and I was like, that won't happen. And this is why. <laughs> and the, this is why is why we have a cosmos. Like, no D&D player needs a cosmos until their players try to start breaking one, you know? Yeah. 
You you could just make a city, but I had insane players, especially Mr. A that I mentioned earlier. His was, was main thing <laughs> was trying to be like, what happens if I go back in time before the first moment? And I'm like, time moves with you? And he's like, exactly. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what you're on about, you know. But that, that's a lot of what it is. It's just I really hope that people geek out enough to try to figure it out um, because we do have a lot of fun little cookies in there. We, we know what everything that's going on, but we want someone else to prove that it could be something completely different. And then we'll be like, you're also right. Go ahead. That's amazing. Jack, who would you say lands of adversity is for? Like what type of player is this for? What type of group? Well, we didn't expect, we didn't expect this game to be having a mass appeal. Um, because one, the players who really like to do this role play and self introspection thing, um, they usually are people who've already played a game for a while. And so while we are going to try to write this with introductory um, you know, steps in mind and have it play tested by brand new players that have never played a game before, we really do think the people who are going to get the most out of it are the guys who are like, I want a game that has cool tactical combat but doesn't feel like, um, you know, like a whiteboard in circles. You know, I, I want... People, people who are looking for something to step into and really get their feet wet and something like people who can appreciate and chew the landscape, I think will really enjoy the game. I don't know if I'm answering the question correct. Uh, I no, guess there's, that's, yeah, but, that's... um, you know, but see, I'm a big role play guy. I love to like run the morning and have the players chew the scenery and talk about how their character is dealing with yesterday. Uh, I have this one player who's like, call me when combat happens, which usually I wouldn't get along with very well, but, you know, I get him to roleplay here and there, and he enjoys it. Uh, that guy's like the head of our rule team, so you know you're being represented on both sides here. You have the super, I love the story guy from me, and then my friend who's like, I want combat to be interesting, is all over our rules, and so we do have interesting combat, but it's not like D&D where that's the main focus and the dungeon grind isn't going to be a really big area of like progression. Yeah. So Jack, we've actually been going for about 45 minutes or so now. Um, we're starting to run a little bit low on time here. So you probably noticed it at, in the other episodes that you listened to my favorite thing to ask creators when they come on is what advice can you give someone who's looking to create their own game, but they have no idea where to start. I guess I'll pass on uh, the advice that was given to me. Pick your favorite game that you think fits the best and play it until you know why it doesn't work for you. And if you're just building a world, then choose a focus because there are too many games out there. Well, not too many, but there are much, much, much more successful games that don't have a specific theme. So find the one thing you like about fiction the most and then just inject that into every area of your game. That's super good advice. So like laser focus in on that. Yep, absolutely. Where can people find more about the Land of Adversity or keep up with you and what's going on there? We are on Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and Twitch as of today, those last two, at LO Adversity everywhere. That's our that's our tag. Anything, plug that in your URL, LO Adversity. Uh all right. And, oh, you also, you and the team actually have something coming up, don't you? 
Oh, December 15th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Twitch will figure that out for you if you go check out our Twitch. Um, we are going to be streaming um, a Q&A to meet the entire team if you want to hear their thoughts on things. And I'll also be doing, I'll be drawing LOA art on that stream while we all talk about everything we love. So thanks for having me, Zach. It has been absolutely great. Thank you so much for coming on. Audience, that's all going to be linked in the description down below. And if you like what you heard, that's going to be next week uh, for the, the stream. So make sure you catch up with Jack and the rest of the team and get to see the Lands of Adversity because it's still very new in development, but it's shaping up to be very interesting and a very different experience. Jack, thank you so much for coming onto the show this week. It was an absolute pleasure to learn about this and get really... <laughs> what might be like a, a first-hand sight of this game. You're the only outsider who's ever talked to us about it. Oh, so really? Far. Cool. Well, yep. thank you so much first for, coverage. for... Thank you so much for asking me to come and talk about it. I'm glad. Thank you. Jack, once again, thank you so much for being on. Audience, thank you for listening. Jack and the Lands of Adversity, they're going to be getting ready to launch real soon once they get their stuff written and good to go so i'm excited to have this i hope you all have a good night and you check out this game because like i said i'm looking forward to seeing where it goes take care of yourselves have a good night bye Thank you so much to Jack for coming onto the show this week. The Lands of Adversity is hosting its Q&A next week on the 15th, so if you're interested in this project and want to talk with developers yourself, this might be the place for you to start. And who knows, maybe we'll have Jack back on the show down the line to see where the game's shaping up. There were a couple of little audio hiccups. Uh, I got a whole new setup, and now that I know how things work, it should be a little bit better. Please be patient with me. I'm learning. As always, though... Thank you, audience, so much for listening. I got a couple of messages from folks concerned about me and the state of the show. I assure you, everything's okay. I got a little swamp with some schoolwork and finishing up another project. I'll talk about that in a second. But schedule for launch should be back on track from this point out. Now onto that project. I've talked a little bit about it in other episodes, but I've been working on a stream with Trevor from Veil vale the Void, which is one of our more popular episodes. So if you haven't listened to that one, you should go take a look to create a podcast and stream revolving around the game. We're also working alongside his co-author, Noble, streamer Miss Anxiety, and all-around good dude, Brad, to tell you all these wonderful stories. Brad's going to tell you he does nothing on the internet, but he plays on our show. So take that, Brad. Anyways, the podcast is called Tale of the Void, and if you want to hear me or any of my friends in this ridiculous planet-hopping adventure where we get ourselves into all sorts of mischief... Look for us on iTunes and Spotify and Google Podcasts and all that other good stuff. We're going to be all over the place soon. We're just working on some stuff. If you want to catch us live, we stream at roughly 8.30 Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday. So come and talk with us. Okay, I think that's about everything. and That should wrap it up. So I hope you all have a wonderful week. Take care of yourselves. Have a good night. Bye.